0: Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths, or STEM, an opportunity to share honestly and openly about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door, or someone from a far-off land. The point is she'll be deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements. Her labels or what she looks like. I'm Dr Shanice Omara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation over the years. And through my television work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed about what I've learned from these women when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And it's that off-air honesty that I'd love to share with you through silence. This week, my guest is in the field of virtual and augmented reality. Hi.
1: Hi. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm good.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to be on this show. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. We met briefly once and I remember thinking what an unusual and unique character you are.
1: Oh, thank you. (laughs) That's exciting to hear. That's a good impression, I think.
0: I definitely wanted to learn more and find out about your journey through STEM. So I'm kind of excited that I get to hear all about it now. Mm-hmm. So virtual and augmented reality.
1: Yes. What does it mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when you were introducing me, I was like, oh, maybe I should have, because it's such a combination of things, right? Because I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm really a software engineer, right? But I'm coming from a background that has more of an artistic kind of feel to it. So I feel like augmented and virtual reality kind of blends those two worlds of highly technical kind of high level thinking and being a creative person thinking about these new technologies and how we can use them in the world that in a way, which helps kind of, um, aid in in research, basically, right. and design.
0: I mean, it seems like such a new technology um, in the grand scheme of things.
1: It is, and I think that there is still, there's still a lot to be learned, I think, with the way that we kind of perceive these new buzzwords, right? AR and VR or augmented and virtual reality are these like, oh my gosh, it's so exciting, but really, what does it mean? Um, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of the time The creativity gets squashed based on, you know, like Silicon Valley and people investing in things and suddenly like a product takes off, but we don't have enough content or we don't have enough time to really develop the software. So it's this kind of interesting world right now because I think that people are still thinking, is it going to be the same thing that happened like in the 80s and early 90s with VR where it was like this cool, awesome thing and then it just kind of flopped. Yeah, Um,
0: are we still in a climate of not really knowing how to apply the technology?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's kind of a sensitive area because the work that I do kind of tries and to make it as literal as possible. So aiding in research and design for science and engineering. Now, I think what really drives the technology is probably on the consumer side going to be video games. Um, You know, when you say augmented reality, people are like, what? And then you're like, Pokemon Go. And they're like, oh, that. So, you know, holding your phone up to something and seeing something. Um, I get excited about all of the applications where that kind of... A lesson can be learned by just having a phone in your hand, you know, like, you know, thinking of having an augmented reality app where you can actually go outside and test, you know, see something visual that shows you the air quality and then like compare it to another place. Like that kind of stuff makes me really excited and how you can use that to kind of tell a story and use real science and data and like, yeah, yeah. When I start talking about that, I think people get a little bit overwhelmed. But I think until those applications become more of an everyday thing that people are used to outside of like, you know, our Snapchats and our you know just games, um, I think it's a good entryway, but I think there's so much more to be learned. I'm completely amazed with some of the senior developers that I've gotten to work with and the things that they are able to do kind of very easily, as well as, you know, a, a new generation of these younger programmers that, you know, create really interesting content based on, like, problem solving for something either they need or a friend needs or a way to connect. So I think there's a lot of good things to be done. Um I just hope it doesn't get squashed by, you know, investment from bigger corporations or, mm. you know, it getting swallowed up into something, like, unfortunately you know, Hollywood yeah. or the industry where suddenly it has a specific place to live. I, I, I like that it's kind of this wild west, as people say, because I think it's quite malleable what you can do with with the content right now.
0: Where do you see the technology going?
1: Well, I mean, for me, I do think about the beauty of having kind of this kind of technology, mostly for Used for training purposes very directly, mm-hmm. you know, for instance um, if you 're a brain surgeon you 're able to perform virtual brain surgery in a way that makes you feel like you 're actually doing it before you go ahead and do it so uh you know being able to explore remote locations before actually having been there, you know doing science for instance in uh, by a hot lava flow in Hawaii, where you couldn't be, but you can get the data from it and stand on the surface of that place. So, these kind of these kind of like wild ideas. I don't think they're that far away, to be honest. I think it's just shifting the perspective and also inspiring kind of this new generation of programmers. Um, and I especially tell this to to females that are going into coding or are interested in it. You know, th- there are all of these other ways that you can implement your knowledge now. And and you can be quite creative. You don't just have to make, like, a website or a piece of software. Um, it can be something that lives beyond in this, like, kind of third world now that augments our world. And I, I find that to be really exciting. I think most people, they, you know, a, a lot of times, too, people just say, like, oh, like, minority report. And I'm sort of like, sure. I mean, that's what everyone pictures when they picture um, – this technology. Yeah. You know, it's like, I want the menu where you swoosh things around. And, you know, I've worked in a lot of um, places where uh, there have been designs that try to emulate that. But what is that outside of cool? Like, how does that help anything? Um, I think even for rehabilitation, I find it to be really beautiful to think about um, transporting people, let's say someone that's differently abled and not able to uh, be as mobile anymore. You're able to put on a headset on that person and perhaps, like, do photogrammetry or scan um, the place that they grew up. And so they're able to, like, virtually explore that space by just, like, clicking around virtually. Or they're able to explore Italy because they've always wanted to go there but aren't able to anymore. So these kind of ways to, you know, train our brains to to explore these places that otherwise we wouldn't be able to. Um, And especially to those people that I think, I think that's really my vision. Like I think it could be a really beautiful tool for humanity. Now that said uh, (laughs) we've all seen episodes of dystopian sci-fi or read those books. Um, It could go either way. I think it's interesting to think about the implications of like big industry taking it over. And, you know, I don't really think, I don't think about that too much because I am a serial optimist. So I'm always like the world is beautiful and we all want to do good things.
0: I mean, you really do sound on the cutting edge of this field. Um, But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's a relatively new area of science. So as a kid, was this something you imagined you'd be involved in? I mean, how did you end up here?
1: Well, um, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. How did I end up here? I'm a little bit of a weirdo. <laughs> I, <laughs> I had a hard time kind of delineating what I liked more, thinking creatively or thinking kind of mathematically or in a scientific sense. So I kind of always combined the things into one I also didn't really have a dream as a child, I just was very content with what was happening right now. You know, I remember at some point I was like, I want to be a checkout clerk because I want to figure out how the scanner works, (laughs) and my mom was like, okay, um, well, it's an attainable dream. (laughs) Is it safe
0: to say that you were a very curious child?
1: I would say yeah. I I was always I, I very much grew up outside, like exploring. I was very into biology and animals and just collecting rocks like a crazy person. <laughs> and then also doing like you know mandatory kind of shows. Like I would sell tickets to my whole family and be like, "There's a show in the living room at 4 p.m. Don't be late." I did. But then that? I would like. Oh it's amazing. It's like so fun, and then you know, I think by the fourteenth time they've seen you dance through the whole, uh, like Elton John CD oh my that God, you've I like, love you. <laughs> listened to way too many times. <laughs> yeah, then you know, I think my parents put up with a lot, but I, I guess I was I'm mean, I was entertaining. I used to really enjoy making the
0: tickets and like the prep for the show, almost as fun as oh, the yeah, actual show.
1: Yes. I feel like the prep of the show was probably usually more successful also than the actual show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I also like I really enjoyed like doing the news. So I would like write like this just news articles that I was like a gorilla has escaped from the zoo, but it would be like real time news where it would be updates every like 5 minutes and it's like now he is on the freeway really close to our house <laughs> like but in paper form wow. which is a little bit That's interesting. Very yeah, so <laughs> I was you could say that I could get along with just uh yeah just not a lot and a lot of imagination so I think that helped I think that kind of I think also being encouraged to grow a skill set because um, you know I play music and I was really my parents like were like oh you're into art so let's learn about the history of art and learn about these different applications and different cultures that create certain things. And that got me into like the idea of anthropology and the study of, you know, time and how we've evolved and how people evolved. And then that goes into like a whole, it, it was just incredible to me. I was like, wow. Um, when it sounds like there was no limits to your interests. I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's kind of problematic. I think in my professional career, because especially at an early career place, and I, I don't know, you you had a pretty specific major, but yet now you're doing this, which is really interesting as well. And I'm sure when you started being interested in broadcasting, people were like, uh, "Well, you don't have any experience. How does that fit?" Yeah, yeah. And you're like, "Well, how am I going to get experience if you don't let me have it?" Right?
0: That was always my. Was that your experience then? Yeah, you always. Yeah, I think experimenting.
1: I was experimenting, and I always had like a very. Uh, let's say, like, colorful CV where it's like, I did feel like I could do it all, you know, I I felt like I can figure out how to record sound and make some video, or I can write a script, or I can, you know, do some research, or, you know, I can lightly code a little bit. And I found that, especially in my early career, and I've always wanted to just do a lecture where we just go through, because people, you know, you meet people, in the sense where they're like oh I've been successful and I've had this and this happen and it's all very impressive and I remember being younger and just being very upset but not upset but it makes you feel a little crappy and especially in this world of like social media I think we're always inundated with this you know success and you know this is how it happened and the next thing I knew I was The greatest but you know doing a lecture about how many cover letters i wrote that were never responded to to like places that i feel like now would would love to talk with me but then it was just like i was not important or my skills were not being seen by them on a piece of paper
0: Mm.
1: so i you know because of that i always I always give people chances. Like I see, I see people having a multitude of skills and I find that to be great because that means that they can kind of, um, they can kind of just go with the situation. I think that, There are are careers and things that you need to be very, very focused. And that's why I'm not a programmer and that's why I didn't have the time to – that's why I didn't want to be like the best programmer ever, which I'm not at all, at all. Um, (laughs) But I also just can't sit there in front of a computer because I'll be like – huh, what's that over there? And then I'm like, maybe I should draw something. You know, I just yeah. get distracted. And the next thing I know, it's like, what am I doing? <laughs> what time is I it? I mean,
0: <laughs> I have to say, just listening to you, I just feel so motivated to go do stuff. Um, it just sounds as though you've never doubted yourself. I mean, if you have diverse interests, brilliant, great. Yeah. Because I'm getting the impression that whatever you did turn your your focus onto you would excel in it
1: no that's true I think I have this thing where I just I think I get a feeling about something and then I'm like that's what I'm going to do and I will make it happen and I'm so dead set on it that there isn't an option to not have that work out which is a very strange thing which is like an overconfidence of course I think it's difficult I think it's difficult for women um especially in These fields, and especially I feel like in tech, um, because you do find yourself in rooms where you're probably at the lowest ratio of diversity, you know, you're, you're surrounded with men. And it's interesting, because these things still happen, you know, before, I think, before, when I was not, um, when I was just starting out, I didn't notice things just because I was just like, really looking forward to working through whatever I need to work through and prove myself and whatnot. But now after having enough experience and then still you're sometimes in a room and sometimes someone's like, what she meant to say is, and you're like, what? That's not what I meant to say. I meant to say what I said. Um, And actually speaking up about that um, is, uh, is, I think, very important. But yeah, I mean. Where
0: does the overconfidence come from?
1: The overconfidence, I i don't know.
0: Has it always been high or has it developed
1: over time? I feel like it's developed. I mean, definitely, I would say during my middle school and high school years, I was not. You know what, though? I still was pretty confident. It's weird. I don't know. I just, I think I don't, I guess I never made excuses for for the way that I was. Right. And I i guess people thought it was strange and that I and i was never perceived as like, an overachiever or anything, but I always did well. And I was just always very motivated. I mean, like, of course, as someone that was, I was not feeling great about myself, I think, when I was 16, because I think it's an awkward time Hmm. in anyone's life, Um, particularly for me, because I was trying to also, I was very driven. So um, I was trying to figure out already what I wanted to study in university. And I was getting extremely confused because I was really into fine art but i also really loved biology and i also was very angry cuz i didn't have good math instructors in high school so i was just mad because i felt like i wasn't learning in the way that i wanted to learn and that mm-hmm. i wasn't like achieving this peak that i knew i could get to if i was correctly explained um how things functioned in a more kind of like you know i think math was quote unquote hard for me, but I also, I think I'm not saying that it's because I'm saying it, I'm saying it, I'm saying saying it's because of the instruction that I received. I don't, I think learning math, especially chapter to chapter, like I did in my schooling, where there isn't an over kind of arching connection in theory of math and how everything relates to each other can be really hard to grasp like some of these concepts and and all you see are like numbers on the page. So, um, or you try to memorize a bunch of stuff and you don't even know why you're memorizing it.
0: Yeah. The way, the way people are taught isn't necessarily the most effective because I think a lot of students, um, are under a lot of pressure to just get through content without actually ever being explained, um, as to why they're learning the content, you know, the greater context.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, I think that that's unfortunate. I had some people in my life, which was great, that kind of did explain how everything connects. And I remember after sitting down and kind of understanding the theory there, I was like, okay, this this makes more sense. It's like learning the history of something without seeing how it connects on either end. How are you supposed to place that specific event? You know, it's impossible.
0: Well, that's what I wanted to ask you next, is um, were there people that inspired you or things that inspired you?
1: Yes. Um, I mean, I was always very inspired by music. So I think that really drove. I think music motivates me to feel certain feelings. And I use it as a tool to be like, OK, I'm going to feel motivated today. And I'm going to listen to this song that always makes me feel awesome. Um and I've had that since I was a kid, kind of the driving, it's like, you know, the soundtrack of your life, whatever, that's kind of cheesy, but I do believe it's a good motivating tool. Um, And I mean, my family was very great, um, specifically my brother. I think it's cool to have older siblings that help you kind of understand things. Um, He's someone that was explaining things to me at a very early age and he's older than me by six years so it was I always felt very cool and like he was letting me in on these like cool adult secrets when in fact he was just like it's probably good for you to figure this stuff out early because then I've always because of him in like a very positive way felt like I was more mature and was like able to kind of think ahead to the next Mm -hmm. steps that I wanted to take even at a Extremely young age.
0: Did he go into STEM?
1: He did. Yeah, he's a he's actually a computer programmer.
0: Okay, so there was STEM in your family. It's not like you were uh, did in these subjects and yeah. you kind of yeah didn't know.
1: Yeah, my mom is my mom's in science and my my father's um, in engineering. So, but the things that they actually ended up working, the fields they actually ended up working and did not directly touch those fields. Let's say. But um, I think it was still something that was, you know, there was just a, there was a bar set where you have to kind of, we'll explain to you, like, this baseline of all of these things, which is really helpful to kind of form the brain in, I guess I'm the only, like, purely, quote-unquote, artsy one. But, you know, my brother is, he's he's a great photographer. And, like, my father is, like, a very accomplished, like, Um, classical guitarist. So it's like, but those things weren't focused on. And that's why I, that's what I didn't understand in the beginning. It's like, why do you have to choose one? Why can't you be both? And um, I think as time goes on, and I think in our society now, especially it's okay. It's like pretty normal to hear that someone is a, you know, a scientist, but I also play accordion. Like, that's not really crazy. Um, But I think in the academic system, uh, you have to, choose, you have to yeah. choose, and I think you know. And you have a PhD. I mean, there you absolutely have to choose. You can't. I mean, you can kind of major, but you have to focus on one thing, and then y- you don't have time to do other things, really, unless those things relax you. If you have time to relax, <laughs> which
0: yeah, I mean, was that not your journey then? Because um, you are heavily in STEM now, yes. Um, so. Did you just focus purely on STEM or did you try and always use left brain and right brain all throughout your career?
1: I think yeah I I use both. I've always kind of um when I wanted to focus bo- more on the more on the kind of art artistic side of my thoughts I would kind of always be in fields that touched like science communication so I be ingesting information from scientists and trying to relay that into something that makes sense for the rest of the for for the rest of the world um and that really i think that's where i learned most of my skills in communication because talking to people that have studied like one species of bird for their whole entire career um And the way that they speak about it is it it sounds, you know, completely foreign and having conversations with those people and being like, can you repeat that except for explain direct, like every single word that um, I didn't understand. And here's a list of the words I didn't understand Um, because you're trying to translate that language to, I I was always interested in translating that language to everyone. I, I do believe that. We all have the capacity to kind of understand the baseline of, of most things that people think or that are deemed complicated. I think everyone can kind of get to a point where they feel like they understand it. And those moments are so exciting, you know, when you explain something to someone and they're like, wait, I get it. And you're like, yes, awesome. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. This is my favorite feeling. Um,
0: Especially if they're not science minded, then you know you've right. already done a good job.
1: Or yeah, or they think they're not, but then secretly you uh you keep talking to them and they do something that is extremely science minded, they just don't see that application for per se. Um or they haven't, you know, that just it's like patterns of thinking. It's it's really interesting to me.
0: Yeah. So you said that well, you described yourself as a weirdo. <laughs> yes, I did. Um what is it about you that makes you weird? I think it's
1: I think it's maybe the lack of, maybe the lack of just choosing one specific thing. I've kind of like created my world in the way that I would like it to be. I mean, I did weird things before, and I, I like that's probably why I said I'm a weirdo. Like, I remember I made this like coyote hat when I was younger. I was like, I was like 18 when I did it, and I would just wear it around. And everyone was like, why are you wearing that weird hat? It's it's like a giant coyote head made yeah. out of, it looked like kind of like a Muppet thing. In that I, and I was just like, I don't know. I just feel like this is me now. Yeah. And I feel like you guys have to accept it. <laughs> yeah. But and, so and awesome. I think that might be seen as showboating or something, uh, but I truly was like, I believe in this right now. And I need to just go, I don't know why, but I'm doing it. It feels right. Oh um, my God.
0: I love that courage. I just I guess. love that courage,
1: or like maybe lack of um, lack of caring about what other people think in that specific moment. Because I'm sure people thought I was psychotic or something. But I was. But if you talk to me, and I didn't even specifically have a reason. I don't know. I just was like, this is how I feel. Because um, I think we should use that that kind of same. I don't know, the same the same thing we do when we're kids where we do weird stuff. And, and I know a lot of people talk like that, but we grow up and we forget about that as a possibility. I have to remind myself when I'm like stressed out and angry at something or other that happened during the day and it's like it blocks so many things but just being a little weird for a second, you're like, oh, okay, I'm back.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really... I'm really starting to see a pattern in all the episodes of silence and all the different women I've spoken to where attitude is really everything. I mean, you know, as women in STEM, there are many reasons why we could describe ourselves as being at a disadvantage or not having it as easy as men in STEM. But ultimately, it really boils down to just your attitude towards it.
1: Yeah. And I think it does take a certain kind of perseverance and whether that's something that is specific to f- someone focusing on that. So a woman being like, I, I'm going to achieve this and I don't, I don't, I'm going to battle everything in the way and I'm going to, I'm going to get this or just on a ba- like just being yourself and uh, yeah, just going for it, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. So in everything you've achieved, career-wise, was it always because you were passionate and interested in it, or was it was there ever an inclination to accomplish because of societal expectations?
1: No, for me, it was never societal expectations. I kind of i, I created my path just because of that, you know, that feeling that I was like, I will get this, like. One of my f- first jobs out of university, I I just walked up to the person that I knew was the head of the department that I wanted to work with and I said, hi, I'm going to work for you and um, I just want to introduce myself and uh, I would just like to ask you when I'm going to start. And
0: <laughs> he was like... But let's get this into context yeah, though. He was like, what? You, you, must, have had the, you must have had the academic...
1: I mean, I had been part of I had been part of kind of the ecosystem of that of that place um, for a while. I just I had my I had my eyes set on a certain you know job that I wanted, and I ended up interning in there at first, and it was like yeah. a paid internship. It was great, and then I made my way up into and to getting that job that I had asked for very bluntly. I mean. That person still remembers that story. He's like, Do you remember when you walked up to me and were just like, This is the job I'm gonna have? And I was like, Uh, I guess we are looking for someone. <laughs> and I think back on that and I'm like, What is going on in my head? But I think I just, I think it was like, you know, when you just go for something, you just kind of blindly, you almost like don't remember it step by step because. It's like maybe when you're singing karaoke or something, you're like in the moment and you don't remember. <laughs> and then afterwards, you're like, how did I do? Was it cool? Did I do a backflip? I feel like I did a backflip.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, it's so amazing to hear your, um, I don't know how to describe it other than genuine confidence. Um, but I must like also highlight the fact that you have the academic Yes prowess to to pull that kind of uh courage off I mean you know to 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 be that courageous to walk up to someone and and ask them for a job um can only be done by someone that has the academic accomplishments to back them up
1: it's true I mean you can't yeah I guess they're not someone's not going to listen to you if you have nothing to show for being passionate for that sort of um, career yeah. but that being said I mean I think I feel like you could give I think there are these like squishy areas now right where you know in the field that I work for instance uh, there 3D development is really important and building things out like building these virtual worlds I think it opens it up for it being someone that is highly technical that could be like a programmer for, per se but also could be someone that's a really amazing 3D modeler which is more of like the artistic sense so if someone that had that scale walked up to me and said, like, I've actually never coded um, anything, but I do these 3D models and I'm interested in in working for you, and they had like an awesome portfolio, I'd be like, okay, let's try it out.
0: Because we also live in a day and age where people do try and take shortcuts. You know, people see certain, I don't know, figureheads in social media who have hit the big time and they don't know that there's been a lot of groundwork to get there.
1: Yeah, I don't want to um, say that there's not a lot of hard work that you can just walk up to someone and be like, hey, you. um, (laughs) Give me a job. Yeah. (laughs) I have no background in this, but this is what I want and they'd be like, okay, well, maybe you are a little bit crazy and (laughs) they'll put security.
0: Well maybe on that note you should um give us a very quick synopsis of um your academic journey.
1: My academic journey. Well actually it's it's interesting because I I studied actually I, I went to uh fully um I have an artistic background so I did go to uh Art Institute and uh, art university um and so I studied film um and video production oh, wow. but also kind of new media which is basically it was at that time I'm sounding like I'm a hundred years old just pretend that I'm a hundred years old no uh (laughs) the new media then meant like so many things so it was like sound design and uh things that pertain to the internet in any way and you know programming and creating like robotics and like it's like this crazy fun world um and in my university it was really kind of i guess um encouraged to be super conceptual um and from a very early time it, it was probably the the coolest film video experience for me because i wasn't asked to create movies which i never wanted to ever make All i, wa- I wanted to make like short content that explained things and i was also asked to like really experiment with different um, with different materials and, and, and just basically sketch up things all the time. So it was really exciting. Um, and then on the side, outside of my studio classes, I just loaded up on science and math. And actually I took so many courses that they were like, you have to stop taking these classes. And I was like, I will not, I don't even care if I get credit for them anymore because I need to feed that part of my brain. Otherwise the art part of my brain stops working. Um, wow. I was like, no, it's a very, it's a, it's, a, it's a combination. It's a balance that needs to be uh, maintained. So, so that's, that's the background. Um, and I, I think that um, it was really important for me. I started kind of working in the field of science communication interning when I was in second year of university Um, I think it was great to have actual hands-on experience, like working with real scientists to to communicate things to the outside world. So kind of delving right into kind of combining the two interests I had where I was like creating content and... um, things for the scientists to use in many ways and also show that to the world but then like learning how to visualize data and learning how to you know learning about like the gamut of all of the sciences that I've always been so excited to learn more about so i think i couldn't have asked for a better education and um i i, I only got a i have a bachelor's degree so i i decided not to get my masters because i wanted to work and then, as I started working in the fields that I um, in in the field, just like working in different cities, I lived in several different cities. I quickly learned that for me, I think entering back into academia isn't the best idea. Because there was a time there's like I should go back to school and you know I should get these degrees. But for me, it didn't make sense because I was the practical knowledge and just people truly giving me the chances to. Um, combine all of my skills yeah was better for me than being in a system where I would be asked to choose one of the things that I was doing mm. so
0: well you had a taste of reality didn't yeah, you yeah and, and I loved you know it's hard to go back to academia because academia doesn't really feel real like the real world
1: uh, the, the art studying that I did you know people have critiques and you have these like intelligent conversations and everything's like based in theory And you're in this like warm little bubble, even if it's sometimes negative feedback, you're like being constructive and you're like, yeah. And then you (laughs) enter the real world and you're like, wait, what that doesn't happen um, at all. And I think it was a shock for a lot of people, but because I didn't actually want to be an artist, I wanted to be someone that could do things to help other people um, through kind of communication. I didn't have a problem. I was actually very excited to finish school And, you know, mold over a lot of opportunities still like to this day, sometimes I'm like, huh, maybe I should go back and get another degree. But then I'm like, I don't, then there will be all this time wasted where I won't be able to do all this other stuff in the real world. And I think real world experience is very important to me because it's the way that I can kind of connect back to humanity. And that's my most...
0: It feels genuinely science, sciency, yes, scientific. Yeah, it is. I mean, science should be about sort of satisfying curiosity, experimentation, failing, right. learning. And academia can sometimes be caught up in like protocol.
1: Yeah, and I think it's also important to, this took me a while to learn as well, where, you know, to ask people that are actually more skilled in the areas that you're interested in to help you. And to create this like team dynamic and collaboration instead of trying. I, I had a problem for a long time where I tried to do everything myself. And that's just crazy. And it, it's, it's a waste because, you know, working with people and collaborating with people is exciting. So I don't need to be the world's best designer. You know, I can ask someone that I deem to be really skilled to do some stuff with me. And they will probably want to. Or if they don't, there are other people. It's, you know kind of real world, real world school, I guess. Uh, (laughs) Real life, I guess, is what you want to call that. So
0: on a personal note, I often ask my guests, what does having it all mean to you?
1: Having it all, oh boy. Oh, that's a hard question. I think that for me, like mind-wise, Um, it's being in a career that I like and living in a place where I feel safe and happy. Um, For me also, it's knowing that if I was to kind of, to feel like I have the trajectory in the career where I can keep on moving in this kind of wonderful, positive way. And that's not necessarily like moving up, I would say for me, but it's just like continuing to have like a good community of people and support and becoming even more creative and like collaborating with more people. I get really excited about like any project that has to do with involving teaching a class of some sort or asking for people to iterate on some idea that is loosely tied to my work that then can be taken into this like insane place. So I guess, I guess that's a really big part of it. I think it's sometimes hard to feel hopeful um, because you're very stuck in your day-to-day routine, and, you know, sometimes your life day-to-day is just like staring at a computer. I guess not losing sight of of this excitement that I'm showing you here. <laughs> I, I'm usually yeah. like this, but then I'm not always like this. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to say that I'm always the most positive person. i my friends will also tell you that I I, over, I think one fault that I have as a person that, you know, has pushed myself to do these wonderful things and reach these goals is that um, when I don't do everything or if something doesn't end up like I have imagined it to be, I, I can get deeply upset um, in a way that it's hard to shrug it off. Right. And work in, I'm working through that because life is definitely far from Perfect, and I think truly you can learn from these things that you might deem to be mistakes or wrong turns or um you know there are, you know there are people that do chemistry experiments where who was it that was saying this to me i was at uh, I was at a conference, and there was this like very complex experiment that this person had built an app for to like make sure that the combination of things was correct because all of these lab workers kept like exploding the stuff. And he was like, yeah, you have to explode everything at least five to six times before you get it right usually. Mm. And, um, but I was like, Oh no, you know, immediately my head went to like, well, if I did it, I probably would get Last it. Right. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't. Yeah. You know what? It, but that's not true. I'm sure that's what every gifted student that gets to work in this lab thinks. And then when they, it keeps on going wrong for them, I'm sure that's like, Oh my gosh, like I'm a failure, but
0: It must be also one of the most valuable learning experiences. Yeah. Because they do often say that, you know, an experiment is either proving what you thought or learning something new. Yeah. Um, But it can be, yeah, especially if um, you're kind of naturally talented at a lot of things, it must be quite a harsh lesson to have to learn when things do go wrong.
1: Yeah, or remembering that it does take practice to be very good at something you know we're born and we're naturally gifted in certain things um Mm. and then it's hard to be good at things that you have to practice in but practice does make you better and I think as a kid you kind of know this I mean I learned it through playing piano I remember being really bad at piano and then I was very good at piano because all I did was play piano for like five hours a day
0: Yeah. yeah
1: And that it's a, that's like years and years of training um, to play a concerto, you know, and then mm-hmm. you kind of forget about that in in, in like your day to day life, especially when you're in a professional atmosphere. Sometimes, like it mm-hmm. takes even practice to be able to properly talk to people and understand their personalities and like succeed in relationships in a professional sense sometimes.
0: Yeah, or even personal. I yeah, mean personal. Yeah. Having having it all is an interesting question from the perspective of being a woman in in its entirety. Is there any thoughts at your stage in life about sort of motherhood or any of those kind of
1: issues? So that actually recently became something that I was always like, oh, I don't know. But I think it's something that's very attractive to me now. Um, What's changed? I it, well, I, I think it's kind of like reexamining how my family structure was. I come from like a very small family. And suddenly this idea of of creating a family of my own and that my you know or my my family can can connect to and kind of i don't know it seems very attractive all of a sudden i don't know maybe it's chemistry in my brain mm. um
0: or even sometimes maybe age because i think women yeah. go through chapters
1: and before i mean even 2 years ago you would ask me like oh my gosh no i don't even want to think about children but or it's like I, it, it even became a point where it's not even having a partner there was a there's like when I started really thinking through this stuff I was like you know I could just have a child on my own you know there are other options there are ways to do this you can adopt a child you can do this and that and it it made it much more attractive to me to even think about it how I could do it without necessarily doing it in the quote-unquote prop conventional way conventional. Uh, and that i think that was really exciting and either way it's like it would be beautiful to to share um a family with someone not that said i'm i'm not ready to to do that yet but it's definitely something that yeah i i think is a something that i would really enjoy and something that i would want in my life i don't know exactly how yet that would look for me i haven't really done the research for myself or had the conversations with with my partner which seems like a good first step um
0: does your stem career accommodate that because I think sometimes I haven't actually even asked you the question you know how is the gender balance within your field
1: it's in my specific field it's it's not very good um there is a balance um but I would say that Uh, there are not many women that work in my um, kind of area. Um, That said, I do try and do a lot of work to kind of widen the pool of applicants that we get. Um, So, because there are so many different places. It's all about where you're asking for people to come and be interested in the job. Um, And I've, I've made it kind of a mission to to widen that pool and to just excite people about the work that we're doing. I think it's easy to do that. Um, and to also make it make it something that's within the realm of possibilities for those people that think that they're not good enough or their skills aren't good enough to, or their interests don't quite fall in line with the kind of work that I do.
0: Why do you think it's important to widen the pool?
1: Well, because if you if you go to the same sources, like when I started where I work currently – I looked around and, for instance, in one of my teams, I am the only female and I also lead the team, which comes with mixed – it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, And sometimes I'm listened to, sometimes I'm not. And I'm not trying to be a demagogue in any way or kind of – but I'm questioned a lot. And it's interesting because that dynamic, I think, didn't happen when there was a male leading the same team. Um, Mm. So, you know, I look around, I'm the only female, and I think – it would be, it would be nice to, you know, we, we get applicants from certain places and we always, I think people are used to going to the same kind of recruitment ceremonies and this and that. So I've been heavily trying to do research about um, conferences and places where there is kind of a more diverse um, crowd and where you might see more females feel like they, uh, like a, a job fair, where they're more heavily female um, attended than male, especially having to do with tech.
0: When when you are conscious of being treated differently because you're a woman, how do you deal with it? Do you brush
1: it off or do you have to kind of process it? Well, honestly, at, at first, I, I think the inclination is to just be like, I'm just being oversensitive, right? I think that everyone's gone through this kind of, I just have to, Realize that this is is probably not them, but then certain things happen and you're like, huh, I don't think that I'm, I think I'm being talked to like this because of my gender. Um, So when I started noticing these things more heavily, especially where I am currently, I, I would internalize it and I would just like feel very sad. And then I think at this point, I just in the moment will say something like this feels very gendered to me is a phrase that I have said several times mm-hmm. in the past two weeks. And
0: that's met, interesting. Met with, gendered.
1: Yeah. I was like, this feels like, like it, this feels gendered. It feels like you're saying this or giving me this task because of my gender. Um, and it's met with a, a lot of tension. Like, it's like, Oh no, that's not what I meant. And I'm like, well, let's just discuss this because this is how I, I feel. And this is how I'm interpreting this comment. So, yeah let's make sure that that's not what this is. So kind of taking the power back. Wow. um, Yeah. Because I feel like my intuition is correct. You know, I would, the thing about, oh, it's probably just me. It's probably, no, I I think when your intuition says, this feels like something that's happening or I'm being talked to in a way that is because I'm a woman, I think you should, uh, one should act on that. Uh, I'm I'm really at the moment where I, where I will speak up um, because how else are you going to earn like the respect or be in the place that you want to be? And, or maybe that's how you figure out that's not the atmosphere that you want to be in and you rethink your job um, and apply for something new. You know, these are all, I just don't think I have, I I have all of these ideas. I'm a very excited person. I don't want to spend time at a place where I don't feel 100% in tune with, um, with the people around me. That said, most of the time, everyone's amazing. And I, I work with a load of both amazing men and women. Um, but you will sometimes get, I think it's a, I, unfortunately I feel like it's something that is just sometimes happening from the top down or something. I, I, it's hard for me to analyze it, but um, all I know is that now I just say it right out loud right when it's happening.
0: It sounds like you're you're calling on your courage that you and confidence that you've always had and really just um, rolling with that, you know, just not letting your gender or other people's perception of your gender uh, get you down.
1: Yeah, because also I feel that a lot of the time. In uh, in work atmospheres, people don't people don't speak up about anything. You know, there will be a lot of tension between two people because they're not talking about it. How are you supposed to move forward and make things better if you if everyone's just keeping to themselves? I think it's important to have direct conversations. I also think it's important to like flag things at a higher level if that needs to happen. Of course, but for these things, it's like. I feel that this is how I'm perceiving this. Am I incorrect in, in in having the conversation? Um it's not to make someone feel uncomfortable, it's to say, "Hey, you've made me feel uncomfortable." Yeah. Let's talk about why and let me understand where you're coming from. I'm I'm not like pointing my finger and being like, "You're a sexist person." Mm. I'm just like when you speak this way, this is how I, you know, it's, it's mostly for things like what she meant to say was, you know, in a mm. group or something. I think that that's an inappropriate statement um, without checking in with the person or having a discussion, just like putting words into the mouth of someone that just said something.
0: So it's kind of like giving people a chance by just saying, hey, did you, did you mean to say that? right like, because i think a
1: lot of the time people are like oh my gosh that's not how i meant for that to happen mm, you know yeah, yeah and then you're like okay oh that's fine um i just wanted to just have a conversation and and i've never had it met with any aggression or it's just an or even it's not even an apology it's just like bringing attention to something
0: yeah bringing it uh, out in the and, open
1: Yeah, in a very kind of peaceful way, not in like, hey.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a very refreshing way of handling it because I think some women um, just don't speak up and um, Mm -hmm. have to work extra hard to prove themselves and they take it upon themselves to do that. Have you ever felt the pressure to prove
1: yourself? I have and I've definitely worked in less healthy atmospheres where I did have male um bosses that would treat me horribly and say and do things that were completely inappropriate but as someone that was like starting out and um wanting to prove myself I would just like quietly do my work and you know discuss it um, with my coworkers sometimes with my female coworkers, in one of those instances I actually when i when I finished that job, I really did not hold back in my exit interview, which I think is an important thing to do is to really give them feedback and The person that was being not a great boss actually got taken out off of that project after I'd left, and I don't know if it was me helping or if you know there were a lot of women feeling the same way um But it felt good that there was like a change because I thought about he managed mostly women and he was just not a very, uh, he's not very skilled in communicating with women. And he's not very uh, appropriate in the way that he talked to women. Um, And it felt good that we kind of like band together or whatever happened for him to get taken off these projects. It felt very nice. Um, It was like a small little like, yay.
0: Yeah, I mean, your self-belief is really, I just wish I could bottle it and then get drunk on it. (laughs) I I mean, it's just so inspiring to hear. Um, I don't know, just you don't compromise on yourself, which I just think is so important. Um, What's it been like working with other females? Have you noticed
1: a similar level of self-belief? Unfortunately, no. I think the reaction that, a lot of the women that I have worked with, um, they either stay and just, you know, they say this is what it is and they Mm. feel helpless in the situation or they just leave. Um, I think that's more of like kind of the younger women that I've worked with, you know, they say, all right, well, um, if this is how it is here, if this is the culture, I'm just going to go ahead and move on. No, Which is unfortunate because, because, you know, you want them to stay and be there because they're there for a reason, Mm -hmm. but they feel as if they can't do anything and to take their power back, they have to just move to a whole different like culture and and work atmosphere, which is unfortunate. Um, I've been told that I'm seen as someone that's kind of um, recently someone left um, in my department and she mentioned to me that she feels like she couldn't change the culture, but she really feels like I could do it if I really put my mind to it. And she was like, it's very exciting for me to think about you, you making strides here. How do you feel about that? that, Having that? I mean, I I was very, I was, I was very flattered to think that, you know, she saw me as this kind of woman that could, that could kind of change the perspective, but it also gave me the confidence to start thinking critically about, about. I think it started this whole like speaking up and then talking to people about this and, and not no longer just noticing things and letting them, letting them go or trying to reason it to myself to say, oh, maybe I'm overreacting. Um, because I think it's worse to underreact than to overreact most of the time. And I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, it's just like, oh, just thinking about moving through my career and and the times that I didn't like negotiate my salary because I thought that you couldn't, or I was told that you couldn't when you definitely always can. And these just, you hear about other women going through this time where it's like, we always underbid for jobs and we always kind of, we fall into these strange statistics that I just, I want that to be different. And I want to, I I know it's, again, like kind of in a, in a utopia to think everything's going to change so quickly. But I think if one at a time, we kind of take the time to evaluate and try to make these small changes. And it's hard. It's hard to get the confidence to be like, you know what, actually, I'm worth a lot more than this. Because for many people, they're afraid that they're just going to lose their job if that happens. And that's very much a reality a lot of the time, too. And that's terrifying. And I just, um, it angers me that that exists. You know, I I wish it wasn't like that. I wish that um, everyone could feel like they could just walk up into an office and say, this is what I want. I'm indisposable and you know this is what you're going to give me and they say yes which is what you did do yeah <laughs> i guess i mean i'm not going to say i was getting paid very much that wasn't the focus there um no but
0: it was it was getting your foot on the ladder so that you could keep climbing yeah, exactly, so exactly. Exactly. to Springboarding. any um yeah. young female stem starter uppers what would you advise them
1: I mean I would say that if your job actually isn't right now or if it's if you're younger than than that even to try and kind of work in the field that you want to work for through an internship or volunteering if you can so that you have that experience so when someone does say oh you don't have the experience doing that. You're like, actually I do. I've been doing this on the side for this many, you know, months or years or whatever. I think that's extremely helpful. I do think also kind of, I wish I could have a, (laughs) like a, a, a class where I explain the feeling where you're like, you have the feeling where you're like, I need to go for this right now. But if you do see someone that, you know, at an event or at a, like a college mixer, or if they're, coming to speak to you at work, like taking the time to walk up to someone and look them in the eye and introduce yourself and and tell them that you want to work in this field and open up the conversation, I think is important. There are a lot of times I think that people get shy. They don't think they can do it. They think the person's going to you know, laugh at them or something that's never going to happen. The worst thing that can happen if someone's if someone says it's very nice to meet you, but we're currently not looking for to hire anyone or however they phrase it, but that's already they they've said hi to you you're you're in there, you know I think that's very good, and then it gives you the confidence to be like, "Hey, that wasn't that bad um you know
0: but I guess even before that. Even before that, it's probably really important to figure out what it is that you do want to do because sometimes, um, it's confusing. yeah, especially, you know, you are someone that was good at a lot of different things and it can be even more tricky to make decisions on your career if you are talented at lots of things. So I guess getting a clear idea about the path would be a good
1: yeah, boiling it down to to what you'd like to do. It can be a combination of things. Um, one of my favorite, <laughs> I spoke at an elementary school once um, or I do like a STEM outreach career day talk with them every year. And this was, I believe, a third grader. They send me um, very cute thank you notes, which always make me very emotional mm-hmm. when I read them because it's just like yeah. amazing. But one kid wrote, You, he was like, you taught me that I can make art and I can do science. You taught me that I can be a baseball cop. And I was like, I was like, does that mean a cop that plays baseball or like an actual baseball cop? Like a new combination of careers that we've never heard of. And, And thinking about him, I was like, I guess it could be anything he wants. Like what he's picturing in his head is something super awesome. Yeah. Um, so combining things in ways that feel unnatural is available too. I mean, I I think, as I said, I work at this cross-section of science and art where I found that cross-sectionality was in um, kind of augmented and virtual reality because it fuses them together. It's very imaginative. It's very creative. I think you just have to kind of sit down and see, you know, um, the, the two or three things that you like and, and research and think about how those things can be satisfied in the ratio that you'd like them to be satisfied in an actual career path. Um, And that's kind of, that is the first step. And it's extremely hard to figure out what you want to do. There are so many people in the world that do something that they don't like to do. And they've even chosen to even go to school for it um, because of many reasons. Um, And I, I, I feel very, very fortunate to be able to choose what I want to do as well and i take full advantage of the positivity of that and of um of the places that i can go with it so it you know trying to think about your life and plan it out is extremely difficult i don't think it's easy for anyone i think it's easier to let just things happen but when you do have that control and that kind of critical thinking where you can really speak to things and figure them out when you're talking to someone about why they should hire you and you're like synapses are firing and you're saying all the great things because you're just you're you're, you know what you want um i think that's the most powerful tool that you can have when you're kind of trying to get to the place that you want to in your career
0: amazing thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us um, it's just been so Thank you. It's been so enlightening talking to you. Um, I totally understand now why you're doing what you're doing because <laughs> it really is like a marriage of very different disciplines and it really takes someone with a lot of self-belief and self-confidence to to actually put themselves right at the cross section between different disciplines. And uh, yeah, I can't think of a better person to be doing it than you. So thank you for sharing your experiences with us.
1: Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I feel like I could have this podcast be four hours long.
0: (laughs) That's it from our STEM guest this week. Wow. I feel utterly uplifted listening to her. And I, I just think confidence is everything. But, you know, not once did I ever feel that It was not sincere um, and she hadn't earned that confidence in a really authentic way. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and catch you next week on Silence.